So we're going to be in Genesis 4, uh, the second half of that chapter. Uh, so while you turn there, um, I want you to just think of this situation. Have you ever seen a child trying to pour a gallon of milk into a cup? And you stand there and you say, I, I'm happy to help you. Uh, because one, I can see over the counter, uh, and two, I can pick up the gallon of milk. I'm very capable of achieving what you want to achieve uh, without making the mess that I know that I'll have to clean up because I'm capable of cleaning up the mess that you are not able to clean up. Does that resonate? Have you ever seen a child do that? And then them say, I got it. No, no, no and they take the gallon of milk and somehow turn it completely upside down. And you're like, it's eight pounds, so it's not that much weight. But their frail little arms can't control it to pour it into the cup. It's, it's crazy. The picture I want to paint there is there's help available. There is a power and an authority there to help that child, but they know better. They're capable without the assistance. Uh, tonight we're going to read about the line of Cain, um, who, you know, last week we heard about Cain and his sin uh, and the separation from man that he experienced and the separation from God that he chose. But that separation continued through the generations. And it seems like the descendants of Cain just said, I got this. Uh, so we're going we're gonna to hit on that because that's what it's about. Um, so if you will, look in your Bibles. Uh, we're going to start in verse 17 uh, and read through the end of the chapter. <clears throat> it says, Cain knew his wife, and she, Cain knew his wife, and she conceived and bore Enoch. When he built a city, that's Cain, when Cain built a city, he called the name of the city after the name of his son, Enoch. To Enoch was born Erid, and Erid fathered Mehujael, and Mehujael fathered Methushael, and Methushael fathered Lemek. And Lemek took two wives. The name of one was Ada, and the name of the other was Zillah. Ada bore Jabel. He was the father of those who dwell in tents and have livestock. His brother's name was Jubal. He was the father of all of those who play the lyre and the pipe. Zillah also bore Tubal-Cain. He was a forger of all instruments of bronze and iron. The sister of Tubal-Cain was Namah. <clears throat> Lemek said to his wives, Ada and Zillah, hear my voice. You wives of Lemek, listen to what I say. I have killed a man for wounding me, a young man for striking me. If Cain's revenge is sevenfold, then Lemek's is seventy-sevenfold. And Adam knew his wife again, and she bore a son and called his name Seth. For she said, God has appointed for me another offspring instead of Abel, for Cain killed him. To Seth also a son was born, and he called his name Enosh. At that time, people began to call upon the name of the Lord. Uh, Father God, I ask that right now you would uh, come down, that you'd stir up the spirit in us. Uh, Lord, that you would be present and active here, that you would speak to our hearts and our minds, 
through your word. Uh, Lord, I pray that you would um, just speak clearly. Um, offer us uh, wisdom and truth to learn and grow so that we might love you and love others well. Uh, Lord, most of all, I ask that you be glorified here now. Uh, I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Look at that. Ready? First page of notes is done. Twelve more. No. Um, all right. So uh, if you look in, in, the, in the listening guide in the bulletin, you'll see that I've got uh, two main points. Um, and, and I think it's because uh, this passage obviously breaks up into two kind of contrasting thoughts. Right, where we see the line of Cain and the sin that they've chosen to live in and continue in. And at the end, we get a little taste of hope. Uh, we get a little sprinkling of hope. And, and we're going to see that sprinkling of hope uh, throughout the rest of Genesis. And if you read the rest of the Old Testament, uh, you'll see it. You know, it's almost like every generation, every story, every history that we read will say, could this be the one who's going to redeem us? You know, and then they fail. And they say, well, he had a son. You know, well, could this be the one to redeem us? And they fail. And well, he had a son. And so we see that at the end here with, you know, Adam and Eve in, in the line of Seth. Uh, and I'm not preaching that. But man, I want to. So, because it ties in so well. All right, let's move on. All right, so the, the first thing we're going to see that, that, that this teaches us is that in our sin, we're going to flee from the provision of the Lord and when we do that, we're going to seek security and comfort and identity in the things of the world, okay? We see that Cain left the presence of God, and he continued to disobey. Uh, he built a city instead of wandering, right? But this is our first point here. Peace is found in the Lord alone. All right, I want to back up a, a couple verses in, in chapter 4 and, and start in verse 15 just to see the contrast here. 15 says, Then the Lord said to him, Not so. If anyone kills Cain, vengeance shall be taken on him sevenfold. And the Lord put a mark on Cain, lest any who found him should attack him. Right? We see God didn't remove protection from Cain. In fact, he reinforced it. Right? Brett said he, that there was consequences immediately, and then there was long-term suffering for Cain. I would argue right here that Cain chose these long-term suffering, right? Because verse 16 says, then Cain went away from the presence of the Lord. Cain left the Lord. The Lord said, here's provision. Here's safety. Right? I'm going to protect you. If anybody harms you, like my vengeance is going to be on him. And Cain said, I got this. Right, and he leaves, and he, and he builds a city. Right, so we see Cain's punish, punishments. The ground will no longer yield its strength, and Cain will be a fugitive and a wanderer, right, meaning he's going to lack strength and steadiness, consistency. He's not going to have stability where he goes. But God still provides protection. So while God sentenced Cain to separation and wandering under his protection, Cain left the presence of God. He sought peace and security in a city that he built with his own fallen hands. Right? And I say that because I think of the story of the, of the priest who tried to catch the Ark of the Covenant so that it wouldn't touch the ground. And I'm, I, I can't remember who, but I heard a, a sermon on it or I read a commentary, and the guy said, to think 
that the ground had sinned against God as much as that man. What foolishness to think that his hands are worthy of touching the ark when God's creation isn't. Right? I, I get that picture here with Cain saying, I don't need your protection. Look at my own hands. They'll do the work. They'll build up walls. They'll protect me. All right, so, so what can we look at this and see? Right, we're going to see that in our sin, we're going to strive to achieve what we think is good, and we're going to accomplish these goals in our own strength. Right, like If we put our hands to the work, we're going to accomplish things because God has granted us that ability. Right, Genesis 1, he says, he calls us to cultivate and to grow. Right, he's given us that great uh, power. But Psalm 127.1 says, Unless the Lord builds the house, those who build it labor in vain. Unless the Lord watches over the city, the watchman stays awake in vain. All right, so think of Cain. Everything he did was in vain. He left the presence of the Lord, and he sought his own power, and he sought his own protection and his own comfort, and he did it in vain. And we'll see that uh, as, as the generations go on, uh, that it just gets worse. All right, so moving on to our, our second point here, we see that the descendants of Cain found comfort in their cultural and technological advancements, but this world is passing away along with its desires. All right, look here uh, in, in this genealogy. Uh, when you get to a genealogy, uh, it's important, right, because it's the Word of God. Uh, you should look at the names. You should look at how long they lived. You should look at the families that were established. Uh, sometimes it'll, it'll bring up achievements, um, like in, in this case. Uh, but I'm not going to focus on the names uh, because you can get really nerdy. Uh, and anyways, you could, spend, you could spend hours just digging up commentaries and sermons and articles on the meanings of names and, and their application. Uh, but I think it's the best thing said about this genealogy is by Matthew Henry. He says, they're numbered in haste as if not valued or delighted in. Right? They're numbered in haste. Right? Why? Because it's just, he, this, this guy had this kid, this guy had this kid, Methushael, Methushael. They didn't even change the names that much. Like, Jubal and Jabel. I just... If you look into it, it's the same word. They just said it wrong. Um, <laughs> no. uh, so if this genealogy, it, it speaks volumes, right? If you go and you look at the names, you will see that they're, they're contrasting in their meaning. They kind of alternate between uh, praising the Lord and saying, ah, oh, the Lord is smiting me, or I delight in the Lord, or look at my own powers. Um, so like generation to generation, there's not a consistency. There's not a steady uh, growth and learning uh, through these families, right? That is until we get to Lamech uh, and, and his sons, who I've called the fathers of industry, uh, because, I mean, everything that we have, you could argue, comes from the developments that they made, right? You get the initiation of animal husbandry through Jabel, right? The father of those who dwelled in tents and kept livestock, uh, the idea of sustainable agriculture. Uh, his brother, Jubal, um, right, he was the father of those who played the lyre and the pipe. You might think, we don't play those. No, but we listen to music, right? We make art. We delight in media, 
right, and relaxation and entertainment. Um, so I'd say he's the, the father of, uh, or the initiation uh, of music and art, or I just put it down instead of reading it. What a goober. Right, per, personal expression, right? Personal expression, our, our idea that I can show my thoughts and my feelings through creating something. And what a perversion of what God intended, right? We're supposed to glorify him and show his nature and his image through what we create, right? Through our families, through bringing them up, right? And you get their half-brother uh, named Tubal Cain, uh, which means you'll be broad of Cain, right? After the seven generations, if you count them, it's seven generations, this guy names his son Tubal Cain because he's still remembering where he came from. Right? He's almost rejoicing in, in this culture that they've established and built. Right? And he was the forger of instruments of bronze and iron. Uh, the idea of uh, like creating technology, right? of, of taking a raw material, a resource, and repurposing it uh, to be useful. Right. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say this because it ties in. They had a sister named Nama or Nama. I don't know how you say it. Uh, and, and her name meant loveliness. Right? So you have all of these guys who are working hard, who are creating, who are being uh, innovators. And then they have a sister named Lovely or Delightful. I think in these guys, we, we witness the development of civilization. Right? You see the, the start of uh, what we would consider culture. Right, that revolves around media and entertainment. Right, if, you, if you think that our culture is defined by anything other than what we consume, hmm, like you're, you're far off. Right, I mean, you can look at American culture and see the movies that we enjoy, the songs that we delight in, uh, the books that are popular. Right, they are what's pushing uh, the main thought in American culture. Right, so creating music, right? He was establishing a culture of, of leisure, of entertainment. Not that it was bad, I'm sure it was needed, right? Oh, wait, anyways, okay. So I'd argue that, that they developed culture, that they developed technology that's rooted in the processing of those raw materials to produce useful tools. I would argue that they uh, came up with the idea of sustainable agriculture to further the progress of society. Right, all those things kind of started right here. But aren't they in contrast to the provision of God? Aren't they in contrast into what God had promised? Right, which is, I've given you all of these things, so go and eat. I will protect you. I'm not saying that we shouldn't pursue advancement in knowledge. I mean, antibiotics, right? we need those. I like electricity. Um, indoor plumbing is really great. Uh, you know, but at this time, these guys stood out and they said, look at everything we've done. And, and even their names speak to the joy they're taking in this. Right? They said, after everything we've done, look at our sister. She represents the times. It's lovely now. Everything is delightful now. Where before the names were like, look at my strength or God is smiting me. Now we have peace, loveliness, delightfulness. All right, so we can look at this part of history and see that they were creating great things, 
Are they making great strides in technology? But it's tarnished, right? It's tarnished by their father. And the pain and the suffering, uh, <laughs> the pain and the suffering that he caused, that he almost delights in, as we're going to see in, the, in just a little bit. All right, we see this phrase, he was the father of all such knowledge about these men who created these things. And Derek Kidner says that that acknowledges a debt. It acknowledges a debt, and it prepares us as Christians to accept for ourselves a similar debt to secular enterprise. Right? Like we, we rely on the secular world. But the Bible nowhere teaches that the godly should have all of the gifts. At the same time, we're saved from overvaluing these things. The family of Lemek could handle its environment, but it could not handle itself. They could handle their environment, but they could not handle them. Uh, it could not handle itself. So the family of Lemek it loved the world, and it loved the things of this world. But what does First John two teach us? Do not love the world. Or the things of the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh and the desires of the eyes and the pride of life is not from the Father, is from the world. And, and this is the kicker. And the world is passing away along with its desires, but whoever does the will of God abides forever. You see, we can't lean on our own powers. We can't lean on the developments. We can't lean on modern things, right? What do we lean on? The everlasting. We lean on the ancient of days, right? We lean on God and we seek him above culture, technology, comforts, security. All right. Otherwise, things are just going to get worse and worse and worse. We're going to continue to turn from God like this family did. All right, so that's going to bring us right into this idea of, of who Lamech is. We're going to see the generational sin does not get better. It gets worse. Uh, generational sin does not get better. It gets worse. Um, uh, one of my favorite stories in uh, the history of Israel is in 2 Kings uh, 16, uh, 16 through 18. Um, it's the story of uh, Ahaz and Hezekiah, his son. Because Ahaz was horrible. Um, he takes money from the temple, and he pays foreign kings to come fight for him. Um, he builds um, uh, altars to false gods and sacrifices on uh, his, his son uh, on them. He uh, does... Just horrible, horrible things. And so we look at this and we see like a, a pattern through there is, man, his dad had done bad and his dad has done, had done bad. And then you get to Hezekiah, the son of Ahaz, and it says Ahaz, uh, Hezekiah did not do as his father before him. It says he tore down those altars. He tore down uh, the high places where they sacrifice these false gods. All right, so I say generational sin does not get better. It gets worse. All right, I'm going to add on to that. 
unless it's confronted. Okay, unless it's confronted. If we're not being active, parents, grandparents, if we're not being active in confronting the sin that we were raised in and the sin that we live in, it's not going to go well for our children. It's not going to go well for our children. It's going to go even worse for their children and their children. So take that. All right, so let's consider the line of Cain. Let's consider the line of Cain. After seven generations, we get to this guy named Lemek, uh, and uh, scholars and commentators kind of argue back and forth on, on the meaning of this uh, outcry that he makes here in, in verse 23. But I think uh, that it's pretty obvious kind of his heart behind it. Right? He's boasting. Uh, he's boasting. He's leading his wives in this. This is something he's teaching to them. Um, and I think we see that because of how poetic it is, kind of. Um, he says, Lemek said to his wives, Ada and Zillah, I, said, I mean, that's our first red flag, right? He had two wives. Um, that's not right. Uh, the Bible teaches otherwise. We should, one man, one woman joined under God, two become one. Genesis 2. It's a big deal. All right. Ada and Zillah, hear my voice, you wives of Lemek. Listen to what I say. I've killed a man for wounding me, a young man for striking me. That's also not good. Right? I mean, that's murder. And the root of that murder is pride. Right? He struck me, so I killed him. It doesn't matter the reason behind it. This guy is, is wicked. Right? And we know the reason behind it, though. It's not because his father taught him that way. It's because of the sin in his own heart. Right? So what First John says, the pride of life, he's living it. He says, if Cain's revenge is sevenfold, then Lemmick's is 77-fold. I think it's interesting that, that he takes this chance to relate himself to one of his ancestors, Cain. Uh, because the connection between Lemek and Cain is seen a long time before that, right? Uh, we see that uh, the murdering of a younger man for a personal vendetta, right? If nothing else, they, they're identical in that, right? However, we see an offense against the creator uh, much more than we see an offense against man here. If you think back, and, and this is a, this is a, an exercise I think that we should participate in. I think when you read these narratives, you should be able to pull out hard theological truths. Okay, so if you look at Genesis 1, we see like the capstone of creation is the creation of man in the image of God. We see value given to human life. Right? Well, in Lemmick's case, we see the destruction of human life. Right? He rejects the value that God's put on man. In Genesis 2, we see the capstone in marriage, right? Moses pauses the story. He stops talking in narrative, and he says, for this reason, a man will leave his parents and take a wife, and the two will become one. That's not part of the story. He stops, and he explains the importance of marriage. Lemek just spits in the face of, of what God has intended. 
right? Some, some people have said that he's trying to improve on the design that God had made, but he didn't, right? How, now, if we take this and we look at it, we're going to see that our sin from the start, originally I put if is left long enough, but I, reflecting on it, I think from the start, our sin will cause us to deny or pervert the most foundational things concerning God. Right? We're going to deny his goodness. Right? We're going to say what God really wants for me is not actually what's good for me. Or we're going to pervert what we want and we're going to justify it by saying what well, God would want me to be happy. Right? He's, we're going to deny his provision uh, and that he would care for us. Right, and, and the contrast of that is we're going to wallow in anxiety. Uh, we're going to deny his mercy. Right? We're going to deny ourselves peace over the failures, and instead we're going to focus on his wrath as if Jesus hadn't already died and paid our debt. Right? We're going to consider his justice from the lens of man um, and, and either see it as unfair um, or as... Uh, not applying to ourselves. We're going to deny God's love um, in saying that it's incompatible or inconsistent with his other attributes. We're going to say that if he's loving, then he'll be accepting. Right? This is what our sin does, is it takes the truths of God and it twists them. It distorts them. Like Limic, our sin causes us to attempt to improve God. But really, it distorts our view of God to the point that what we worship is some delusion of who God is. So sin is going to distort our view of God into what we're worshiping is some distortion of who God is, some delusion of who God is. All right, so in our sin, we're going to seek things of the world. We're going to flee from the provision of God. We're going to seek comfort, security, and peace in the things of the world. But... But in God's loving mercy, we call on the name of the Lord. Read with me again these, these last couple of verses, starting, uh, starting in 25. It says, And Adam knew his wife again, and she bore a son. And she called his name Seth. For she said, God has appointed for me another offspring. Instead of Abel, for Cain killed him. To Seth also a son was born, and he called his name Enosh. At that time, people began to call upon the name of the Lord. All right, this final point, right, I, originally I taught it God's word is as good as accomplished. Um, but I think that God said it better uh, in Psalm 33 when he said, The word of the Lord is upright and all his work is done in faithfulness. Right, in this small portion of history, I, I hate to say story in this story, uh, because it's so easy just to think of it as some story, but it's not. It's history. In this small portion of history, we aren't left with the pain of Lemek. We aren't left remembering the failures uh, of his family. We're not left remembering uh, that he raised his sons to seek out advancement and security in their own works. Right, we're granted a hope that contrasts that. Right, and we're going to see in the 
coming weeks and months that this lingers throughout time. Right? Like I said earlier, we're going to see these stories, these histories, and, and we're going to recognize, could this be the Redeemer? Well, we, I mean, we know Christ is the Redeemer. But we're going to see people, we're going to see men like Noah, and we're going to say, could this be the Redeemer? We're going to see people like Abraham and say, could this be the Redeemer? And then they fail. But God maintains, and God offers hope. In each generation, he offers hope. And I think he does it in a way that we might not recognize. Right? Because the first contrast we see in the lines of Seth uh, and, and the line of Cain is Seth's son. Right? Cain's line actively rebelled against the Lord. Uh, they actively broke God's law. And Seth's called on the name of the Lord. Right? And it continues for generations until we get to the second Enoch. Uh, in, in, in chapter 5, we'll, we'll read it. And it says, I mean, I didn't put the description. In verse 21, chapter 5, it says, When Enoch had lived 65 years, he fathered Methuselah. Verse 22, Enoch walked with God after he fathered Methuselah 300 years and had other sons and daughters. Thus all the days of Enoch were 365 years. Enoch walked with God, and he was not, for God took him. Now, taken out of context, you'd be like, oh, he died. But, but every other person says, and he died, and he died, and he died, and he died. And then it gets to Enoch right here, and it says, the Lord took him. He walked with God, and he was taken by God. He didn't suffer death. That's the line of Seth. That's the hope that we get out of this, this history, out of this story, is that there is still hope. Yes, God has allowed some to wallow in their sin, to walk away from him, to refuse his protection and his provision, but he saved some. He kept a remnant. That's the hope we have, and we'll see throughout, throughout the history of the Old Testament he keeps doing that. We know that because we see Christ. We see Christ, and he comes, and he doesn't fail. He doesn't fail. He takes our sin to the cross, our sin, not his, and he takes it, and he nails it to the cross with himself, and in his death, he kills it. And his blood covers us and washes us clean. And in his resurrection, we have life. Right? All these men that we'll hear about in the next couple of weeks, they died. But in Christ, there is life. That's where the hope lies, is not in, in man's works, not in their accomplishments, not in their advancements. Right? It says, right here, it says this right here in my notes. This is where hope lies with God intervening. I, I think the whole point of the Old Testament is to show us we can't do it. We can't do it on our own. It takes God to step down. Think of Genesis 3. What did Adam and Eve cover themselves? Fig leaves. And did that do anything? No. 
They covered them up physically. Spiritually, they're broken. Emotionally, they were distant. Blaming each other, angry, confused, scared when the Lord stepped down. And what does God do? He intervenes. And he says, nope, a redeemer will come. And I think that's what it takes, right? If you think back, if you're a Christian, you think back to your own salvation. At what point did you cry out to the Lord? I mean, it's very rare that, that you meet somebody who said, you know, I don't remember, uh, I don't remember becoming a Christian. You know, I was raised in a Christian household, and I knew these things, and I loved the Lord, and I repented of my sin that I knew that I had because I knew I was separate from God, but I don't remember the process. And I think that's valid. I think it's a beautiful testimony. But they didn't cry out to the Lord on their own strength. I didn't cry out to the Lord on my own strength. Right? Who among us would cry out to the Lord without first being prompted to do so by the work of the Holy Spirit? Without the softening of our hearts. Psalm 14 says, The Lord looks down from heaven on the children of man to see if there are any who, if there are any who understand. If there's any who seek after God. No, they've all turned aside. Together they have become corrupt. There is none who does good. Not even one. Ephesians 2 says, You were dead in your trespasses and sins in which you once walked. And fast forward to verse 4, it says, But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you've been saved. John 6, Jesus says, No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him. From the start, we can trace God intervening throughout all of Old Testament history, throughout all of the New Testament, throughout all of history. Tim did a a series on uh, catechisms, and one of the first things we talked about was just the way that, um, like, the Council of Nicaea came to be. Uh, and, and the events that led up to it and the need for it. And it was baffling to see God intervening in what, I mean, what we can consider modern history. You know, I mean, recorded history, not thousands and thousands of years ago. I'm not talking creation, Abraham. I'm talking after Christ. So we can trace this throughout all of history. And we're going to see that God is at work. We're going to see that God comes down and he rescues his people. He calls people to him, to his love and to his service. So I just want to, I'm going to close with this, this thought. Where do we seek our security? and our comforts, and our identity. Do you witness the Lord intervening in your life? Or can you think back and see, well, that was God working? Even now, do you long for God to intervene? 
I was listening to a podcast uh, about something completely unrelated, and, and a pastor said, um, if you feel that, stop and praise God, because that's the work of the Holy Spirit. I think that's something we need to remember. Right? Do we witness the work of the Holy Spirit continually in our life? Where are we seeking our comforts and our identity and our security? Right? If it's not in the Lord, the question you need to ask is, is, is why not? I think that the line of Cain, Lemek and his family and uh, the others, they didn't seek the provision of the Lord. I don't think that it was instilled in them generationally. I think that each one chose it. I, I think that God offers us the, the same opportunity to seek him, right? to be like the line of Seth, to call on his name, and to walk alongside of him. I think he offers that to each person every day. Right? And it's our responsibility to respond. Right? Not just to respond, because a response can be ignoring it. But it's to respond and cry out to the Lord. Acknowledge him as Lord. Right? And believe on his name. Okay, let's pray. Father God, I love you. I thank you so much for this history that you've provided for us, Lord, this history of, of brokenness and hope. God, I ask that you would help us to, to seek you first. Grant us peace and security and comfort in you alone. Lord, those of us who are, who are diving into the world, who are longing for the things that are passing away, God, I ask that you would make that real, that that death and that gratification, that temporary pleasure, the reality of it would be that it's fleeting or that it's vain, as your word calls it. It's, it's pointless. Grant us joy in our salvation, Lord, so that we might love you we might honor you. Praise the name of Jesus. Amen.